Okay, well, uh, the theme was taken from the phrase in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, where it says, And when he had removed him, that is, removed King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine heart, who will do all my will. And I'll underscore there, man after my heart, of course, is the idea of a heart for God. And that's what our lessons are about, is the idea of a heart for God. Last night, we talked about David and Goliath. That David had tremendous faith and, of course, tremendous courage because of his faith. It gave him great courage to meet uh, Goliath, the giant uh, of Gath. But tonight, we're going to talk about David and Saul. Uh, it seems to be, to me, uh, somewhat a very complex relationship. And uh, Saul, he was not, uh, well, he was not a very nice person in so many ways, and we'll see that. But David yet still tried to maintain respect and uh, uh, honor to him because he was the Lord's anointed. And uh, we'll be talking about that as the lesson develops. All right, we're going to be looking here in 1 Samuel chapter 18 to begin our study. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And there are various relationships that you see David having with King Saul. And uh, we'll kind of develop them. And the first one that we're going to look at here in chapter 18 is that, well, Jonathan was just a close friend. Jonathan, of course, was the son of King Saul. And there was just some special relationship. And I don't know, I was reading here just the other day uh, all these various chapters and this relationship that, that David had with Jonathan and, and just how they were just sort of knit together. And the tremendous love and respect they had one for another. And then at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, when they're fighting the Philistines, is that Jonathan, he gets killed with the other sons of Saul. And Saul is mortally wounded and he ultimately dies. And, and really it was, it was just so sad. To, you, you just, you know, you're like pulling for Jonathan. I mean, Saul, yeah, well, he had it coming, what befell him. But Jonathan, it was, uh, to, to me, it was, uh, it was really sad. Alright, so here we are with uh, Jonathan, and it begins to describe this relationship. Notice there, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Someone want to read that for us? Verses 1 and 2. Alright, so it talks about the soul of Jonathan and David. They were like knit together. Well, that that just implies a very close relationship. I, I don't know what it was about. Maybe they were close the same age, I'm guessing. Maybe they just had things in common. Maybe their personalities just gel. You know, you, you have that in life. There are just some people you just sort of kind of click with a little better than others. We're supposed to love everybody. That's, our, of course, our responsibility. But sometimes they're just people that you just sort of click uh, because of maybe personality traits. I don't know, but they just seem to, to go together like hand in glove, the text talks about. And then notice there are number three and four. Three and four. Someone want to read that for us? <clears throat> All right. So they made this covenant. They made this, this agreement, this pact, one with another. And he shares his garments. He shares his bow and, and various uh, uh, military pieces and what have you there. And that was an interesting relationship because here you have the king's son and, and he has this close-knit relationship. Maybe that might be... Maybe part of the, the reason why when the Lord delivered uh, King Saul into the hand of David, he did not slay him. I think that could maybe part of it because, hey, it's your good friend's dad. I mean, you don't want to do something to him. 
Uh, but anyway, there was this wonderful relationship here. And uh, we're going to see something else about uh, uh, Jonathan with his dad. And then we turn to number five. Now, in verse five, there's an interesting phrase that is used. And we're going to see this three times in this chapter. It talks about David behaved himself wisely. All right, let's notice there number five, verse five. Someone want to read that for us? All right, so it talks about uh, Saul sending him out for different uh, purposes, and David did what he was supposed to do. And it says that he behaved himself wisely. And that's going to be especially important because of what's the, well, the, the bad attitude that uh, King Saul's going to have and trying to get him and trying to uh, get a step ahead to somehow do him harm. Notice on down in the text there in number uh, 14 and 15, verses 14 and 15. And this is after this jealousy sort of develops that we're going to be looking at here momentarily. But I want to just continue this thought of behaving himself wisely. Number 14 and 15. You want to read that for us? All right, uh, the version that you were reading, it says that he had great success. The marginal of mine says prospered, or it also says uh, in, the, in, in the old King James, he behaved himself wisely. Well, you're going to have to behave yourself wisely if you want to prosper or have good success. You, that just kind of goes hand in hand. You can't act like, uh, you know, kind of do stupid stuff and think, well, things are going to go well for you, because when you do stupid stuff, what generally happens? Yeah, things don't go well. Exactly. They, they just don't go well when you're doing dumb things. And then notice there at the end of the chapter, number 29 and 30, number 29 and 30. <clears throat> All right. So again, it talks about the idea of, of, be, of behaving himself wisely. And, and that's just really a tremendous lesson, especially when his, uh, his, uh, uh, you know, his jealousy sort of begins to develop as we're going to see here, uh, just a second. But uh, you need to be behaving yourself wisely. And now, you know, Paul in the New Testament exhorts uh, that kind of concept to us there in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, there in number number, uh, 15. Ephesians chapter 5, number 15. Someone want to read that for us? Ephesians chapter 5, number 15. All right. Look carefully, the text says, or... King James says, walk circumspectly. Uh, That's an interesting term that is translated about walking carefully. It's a term, it's where we get the word acrobat. I think in the the Greek it's akrobos. Uh, But uh, you see where we get the word acrobat, and if you think of an acrobat, you know, maybe walking a tightrope or up on the, the high wire or the those things that swing back and forth. What's the attitude of somebody walking up there, especially if you don't have a net? Well, you better have a positive attitude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're looking and guarding every step they take. They're like an acrobat because they are carefully, or the phrase used, behave yourself wisely. That is, you're, you're careful with every step. You know, every move that you make and the things that you do, you don't just get up there and, oh, you know, hey, and you want to, you know, get your cell phone like make selfies or whatever and wave at the crowd. I mean, you, you are focused in walking at every step to be correct as you walk that wire up there. Now, if you have a net, it's not so bad because, well, I mean, still then you can get hurt, but, you know, the net's there to catch you. 
But if you don't have a net, it's even impressed upon your mind even more so to walk circumspectly, to walk very carefully and guard each step as you walk. And that was uh, the life of David as, uh, well, until tomorrow night, and we talk about David and Bathsheba, and that's where he may, he really flubbed up bad. And once the ball got started down the wrong path, not behaving himself wisely, well, it just, it just denigrated uh, deeper and deeper for him. Alright, now we move on to talk about Saul's jealousy and envy. Here in verses uh, number 6, uh, well, 6 and 8, verses 6 and 8 first off. Someone want to read that for us? 6 and 8. Alright, so they're out in this campaign against the Philistines, who of course were just pagan idolaters and enemies and just kind of a thorn in the flesh to the Israelites. And they're out on the campaign, and things were going well for them. David, a good uh, soldier, military fella in the army of uh, King Saul. But then they get back, and the women, they're singing, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And the reaction of King Saul? Pardon? He was jealous. There was envy. And really, you know, I, I, keep, I, I keep thinking about that. Well, why? I mean, it wasn't necessary. It's like, uh, and I, I thought of, if we could parallel with maybe something we would be familiar with, it's like, you're going to get a, you know, you get a, a gang of guys and you're going to play basketball or softball or whatever sport you like. And, and uh, we used to play uh, basketball a lot when I was in uh, high school, pick up basketball. And I remember when I was, uh, you know, just coming up uh, out of, uh, into high school, you know, you would kind of like pick last and you were happy. And then as you got on up and you were taller, you know, sometimes I was the captain and I would do the picking. But, you know, when you get somebody that can score a lot of points and it's like, you know, I picked Kane and, he, you know, he's a good scorer. It's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> well assuming that you were, <laughs> assuming that you were a good scorer. Or Luke, or whoever it might be. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he's on my team. And why, why be jealous? I mean, if you're playing basketball or a team sport, and you got somebody that can really, you know, maybe hit a lot of home runs, if you're playing baseball or softball, or in the analogy of basketball, somebody that scores a lot, or somebody that gets a lot of rebounds or can block shots, I mean, you would think, you're happy to have this guy on your team. Wouldn't you? I mean, that, that, you would think that would be the way. And here they're all on the same team. They're all part of Israel and the army of Israel representing their nation. You would think, yeah, this guy is great. I mean, he, he, he can really get in there and do battle and do us good in this military campaign against the Philistine. And you would think, yeah, he ought to be happy. No, there's this jealousy, there's this envy that arises in the heart of King Saul. And it just, uh, well, sometimes he'll say, oh yeah, okay, okay. And then next thing you know, it would just like creep back up into his heart again. Alright, now when we talk about jealousy and envy, sometimes in the scriptures and in our language, we use them as synonyms. Synonyms are words that mean fundamentally the same. And that's true. Sometimes they're used interchangeably, jealousy and envy. So what would be the definition of jealousy or envy? Yeah, it relates to that. Some, something good that happens to somebody else, and we kind of like it. We, we don't have it, but we maybe kind of want it. 
Or we're uncomfortable when good befalls somebody else. Something that's wonderful or something that good happens. Maybe somebody drives up in a new automobile and we're a little uncomfortable because I'm driving around 1997 Ford pickup Ranger, you know. And it's like, ah. we, we feel a little uncomfortable about that. And, you know, we're kind of displeased. And we're not happy for them or somebody gets a new job or gets a promotion and we're not happy for that. I mean, when we study in the scriptures, like in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are to rejoice. We're to rejoice with them that do rejoice. And what was the other side? Exactly. We're to weep with those that do weep. And that, of course, is just uh, uh, of the idea of compassion and feeling and sympathy and, uh, and feeling together in the same body. Well, we ought to be happy when good befalls somebody else. We ought to be excited. We Somebody gets up and, and does a great job teaching the class. Hey, let's be happy for them. Hey, they're on our team. I'm glad they're on our team, on the Lord's team. Somebody gets up and does a tremendous job leading the singing. Whoa, boy, we're, I'm sure glad that they're in our midst and we have them in, in, you know, in our group. And just be happy. And whatever it might be, you know, somebody does a great job cooking, somebody does a wonderful job in, in giving exhortation and cheering people up, somebody's great about, you know, writing cards or sending cards and cheering up folks. Whatever it might be, if they're on the Lord's team and using their talents and abilities, wow, let's thank God, let's be happy that they're on the Lord's team. But so, why, why be jealous? It, 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 it's not like an individual competition you're trying to win out. They're all on the same team. So why, why are they, why, it doesn't, it does, it absolutely does not make sense. It's really, it's, it's crazy. It is a green-eyed monster, actually. And he has this jealousy, and it just seems to kind of run his life, and he just gets it in. Uh, now, let me talk about jealousy and envy. You know, sometimes they're used uh, interchangeably. But sometimes the scriptures use the words together. So if you have the two words together, there must be a little bit of distinction between the two. So what would be the distinction between envy and jealousy? Yeah, that, that, that envy is the stronger term because both have the feeling that, you know, I'm uncomfortable because you're driving this new car. You know, it, it sort of displeased me instead of being happy for those that are happy and, and rejoicing with them. You know, I'm sort of displeased, like it talks about Saul. He's displeased about David and, and his good successes. And so envy and jealousy, there's that feeling of displeasure because of this good that's happening for another person. But envy has that, has that, takes that a notch above. It's like, okay, you're driving a new car and I'm discontent. I kind of like to have it, but I can't have it and I don't have it. And so I just feel like walking by and taking the key, you know, like scratch it. I'll just mar your, your new car. You know, just, just do some harm to it. Since I don't have it, and I'd kind of like it, but I'm not going to get it, you know, I just want to do harm. And that, that's the way envy works. And so you see the anger. And we're going to look at another example of envy and jealousy to kind of illustrate further what we're talking about. That is, uh, well, before we get to that, I want to look at uh, one other thing. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, and you got King Saul, he has this jealous and envy. And we're going to see the, on three occasions where, you know, try to convince him that David's not trying to take your kingdom and he's a good servant. He hasn't done anything for you to be envious and jealousy. 
And we'll we'll talk about that shortly. But I want you to notice there in 1 Samuel chapter 24, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, number 9. We'll look at this text a little bit further, but I want to look at just verse 9 here. Someone want to read that for us? 1 Samuel 24, 9. All right. Well, what's the point? Well, when you have somebody famous like King Saul, I mean, here's a guy, he's, you know, he's the top dog in the, in the, in the country. A lot of times you have people that of notoriety are famous. They, they seem to, if they get off track, there's going to be some cronies. They're going to kind of, kind of feed what they want to hear and kind of talk the way they, the talk they want to hear. And that's what was happening. And, and David said, why, why are you listening to these people? Like somehow I've done something. Like I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, set out to assassinate you or I'm doing this evil towards you. I mean, people were just feeding King Saul these lines because he has these jealousies and he doesn't like David and, and he wants to do David harm. He'd like David to be dead and, and all these uh, bad thoughts that's related to this green-eyed monster called Envy. There are people that were feeding him these types of things. I, I've watched a couple of different documentaries, uh, one like about Elvis Presley and one about Michael Jackson. These guys are superstars. And then they sort of get off track. You know, I mean, they, they develop bad habits with drugs and alcohol. And the problem is, is that, you know, these guys are famous. These guys have a lot of money. You have a pretty good job. You get a pretty good paycheck. Well, you don't want to upset the apple cart. And so you get cronies that just sort of go along and just sort of humor these famous people. And that's what you have with some of the people that were talking to King Saul. They were just sort of humoring him along and feeding all his, his uh, you know, this jealousy and envy that was in his heart over David. And they were just feeding these lies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, oh, King Saul, boy, you're right about that. That David, he's a low-down, no-good scoundrel. Why, he, yeah, he needs to be dead. And, and, you know, he just, he would buy into those types of things. Because you have people like that. And so this monster just kept growing in his heart, and he just, well, anyway, it's sad. Now let's look about envy just a little bit more. Over in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37 is the story of Jacob and his sons. And this was a real misfortunate uh, experience that takes place, and it becomes kind of costly to Jacob because he shows favoritism to Joseph and the reactions and the things that takes place here. But I want to notice just a few things that are said here. In Genesis chapter 37, number uh, 3 through 5. 3 through 5. Someone want to read that for us? Genesis chapter 37. All right. So you see these feelings of hate. But we're going to see when we drop down to number 11. And he tells these stories and they hate them even more, it says. In verse 11 it says, And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. You see, this animosity is related to envy, which is the stronger term of jealousy. Ah, right, yeah, he's daddy's favorite. Now, I don't think that was good on the part of Israel or Jacob to have favorites among children. And he suffers the consequence of that. I guess he got it honest because his parents were like that. But, but nevertheless, it created problems. 
And so what happens is that, well, he's out checking on the older brothers and the flocks and all that to give a report back, and they have all this animosity and this envy over their kid brother. And so they seize him, as you read on through Genesis chapter 37, and they're thinking about killing him. And then there was a little bit of um, maybe good sense among some of them, and they decided to sell him into slavery. They sold him into as a slave to these uh, uh, folks that were coming by. What were the Ishmaelites? Ishmaelites or the Midianites? And so he was taken to Egypt and sold as a household servant, a slave. Well, now they got to tell Dad something. So they come up with this idea because they had taken that coat of many colors, that special coat that Dad had made for his favorite son, and they put blood all over it. And they come, and notice there in number uh, uh, 33, someone read that for us? Alright, so they said, you know, hey, we found this coat, you know, they pretend like that, and there's all this blood, and he just assumed some evil beast, some fierce animals ate him up. I I like the, the King James rendering, an evil beast. But it wasn't an evil beast like a tiger, or a lion, or a bear, or, you know, a puma or something like that. It was the evil beast of envy that had devoured him. That's what happened to Joseph was this evil beast, envy. And it was the evil beast that was raging at times in the heart of King Saul toward David. And yet David, he behaves himself wisely and he still shows respect because he is the king. He's the Lord's anointed. Yeah, he was the duly appointed king in Israel. And so he has still respect for the office, and that speaks a lot, I think, about David. But it was an evil beast. Over in the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, one of the interesting Proverbs that speaks about envy. In Proverbs chapter 14, number 30, someone want to read that for us? Envy is rottenness to the bones. We, the phrase we use in our day is it's a green-eyed monster. Green with envy. And the idea of being green is like when somebody's really sick or nauseated. Sometimes they have like almost a green hue to them. They just, you can tell they're sick. And when people are sick with this, this, this spiritual uh, disease called envy, this sin that's raging in the hearts of people, well, it, it is, as described there in Proverbs, it's rottenness to the bone. And that's what happened here with King Saul. Oh, he was so jealous and in it. And there was no need. It was totally useless. It was, it was silly. It was, it was irrational in his part because number one, David was a faithful soldier. Number two, he was a son-in-law. You know, number three, he, he, he didn't try to, to do harm to King Saul, etc. He wasn't out trying to take the, the throne. Yeah, he was going to be anointed, but he would just wait his time in God's scheme of things. And uh, when he's delivered in his hands, he doesn't take vengeance upon him. Because that was the character of David. But it was a horrible, horrible problem, this monster, this evil beast called envy. And David suffered from that, and he's on the run, and he's out living different places, and just... Fortunately, by the divine providence of God, he's like he's a step ahead, always just a step ahead. There's different ones that help and assist him in God's providence to save him because, hey, he's, uh, he's got an important plan for David in the, in the big scheme of things. All right. 
I want to notice uh, the text there in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is talking about personal offenses, and you go to your brother, and you try to talk to your brother about the matter, and then if that doesn't rectify what Jesus says to do, you take uh, one or two more and try to talk to them. I want to notice the, the phrase that is used there in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16. Someone want to read that for us? All right. You take one or two more in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. That, that's kind of a biblical concept. It's like, okay, you hear one, sometimes that's convincing, but when you hear two or you hear three, it's like, wow, well, that's, that's pretty convincing. When you've got three witnesses all saying the same thing, making the same point, and that's what we're going to see is that there's two or three witnesses to try to say, King Saul? Now, wait a minute. You've got all this envy. You've got this animosity. You've got this anger. You've got this bad feelings about David. But that's not really the way it is. All right, number one witness is his own son, Jonathan. So we go back to 1 Samuel and we come into chapter 19. In 1 Samuel chapter 19. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, notice there in verses uh, 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Someone want to read that for us? 1 and 2. <clears throat> All right. So, the word's out. He's got this, this envy, this, this animosity. And he, want, he wants to kill David. And, you know, kind of lay low in the matter. All right. Number 3 and 4. 3 and 4. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So, we have... Uh, <clears throat> So we have Jonathan stepping up to the plate, witness number one, saying, hey, you know, David, he, he's a good guy. He hasn't, he hasn't done anything against you. I mean, you can't say, oh, I remember last month on, you remember that Tuesday? There was nothing to remember because he hadn't done anything. Done nothing wrong against King Saul, against his administration, against, uh, uh, against his kingdom, his throne, etc., He's a good guy. He's a faithful, you know. He, he does the right thing and uh, does what's right. And he put his life in his hand and he slew the Philistine. And you saw it also. I mean, when he went out there, I guess there were a lot of people watching him. I wonder how this is going to turn out. They probably think, boy, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be struck down pretty quick. Maybe hoping, maybe. I don't know what they were thinking, but you could imagine that because everybody else was scared to meet the Philistine. And when the when Goliath comes tumbling down and David's chopping off his head and then they're all pursuing after the Philistine, they're all rejoicing. They're happy. It's like, wow, this guy that has defied us and, and made us and put us in, in fear for the past 40 days has fallen. And they're rejoicing about that. And he hasn't done anything against you. And why would you kill him? You don't have it now. If you could say, all right, David, you know, he, you know, he burned half of Jerusalem down and he killed so many innocent people. And well, yeah, you might think, well, yeah, he's, he's a criminal and he ought to be executed. Yeah, you could understand. But there was nothing. He had done nothing wrong. And so there is the first witness, the first testimony of Jonathan saying, no, David is a good guy. All right, let's move on into chapter 22. And it is the priest, Ahimelech. King Saul still pursuing. And he's got a bunch of men and they're out trying to find David. Uh, there, as we read in verse uh, 7. 
In verse 8 it says that all, all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that are sorry for me, and show unto me uh, that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in way as it is this day. Nobody feels sorry. Why would you want to feel sorry? It's like a self-inflicted problem. I mean, it's really kind of hard to feel sorry for somebody that got a bad attitude. That's what Saul has. He has just a stinking attitude. It's kind of all in his mind. I mean, now if you could understand that David was doing all these malicious, mean, maniacal, criminal activities against King Saul, you might say, oh yeah, yeah, we kind of feel sorry that you haven't got the scoundrel. You know, he's public enemy number one and yeah, you know, he's just like a step ahead. It was kind of like Osama bin Laden. You know, he did all these maniacal things and Ultimately, his just desserts came to him. But David had done nothing wrong. And then we read in verse 9, there's this fellow named Doag, the Edomite. He said, oh, yeah, 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 I seen him down there in Nob. You know, he, he was talking with uh, Ahimelech, and he sort of slants the, the testimony. Yeah, 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 he's inquired the Lord, da, da, da. And he gives him food and gives him the sword of Goliath, etc., and all these things. And, and so they call Ahimelech to, to, uh, to, to order here. And notice as we pick up in number 12 and 13, 12 and 13 here in 1 Samuel 22. Someone want to read that for us? Alright, notice uh, Ahimelech, his response there, number 14 and 15. 14 and 15, so I want to read that. Alright, so we have Ahimelech, and he stands up for David, and he said, you know, there's nobody as faithful as David. I mean, he's a good soldier, he's a, he's a good citizen, he's a good person. I mean, he's a reliable, trustworthy. You know, when it comes, I was, I remember talking with a fellow that, uh, he run, um, um, a famous recipe restaurant. Someone still has it. And he says, you, you know, when you're running a business, what is the number one thing in business to have a good business? Hire good employees. <laughs> you need faithful employees. Because if you have employees that want to wreck your business, they can do it. And they can do it. And that was his, his insight. You better hire good people, reliable people, trustworthy people, competent people. And here you're king and you got this reliable soldier. He's a military man. He slew, he slew, uh, Goliath. He, he slew, uh, Philistines in battles and he's reliable. He hasn't done anything wrong. And he stands up and says, hey, wait a minute. As a witness and as a testimony, hey, David's a good guy. So now there's two witnesses that says that David's a good guy. Alright, let's flip over to chapter 24 now. In chapter 24. We read about King Saul still on the pursuit. It's still, he just is not listening to reason. There's going to be a third testimony. You've got Jonathan saying, hey, David's an okay guy. you got Ahimelech. Uh, well, we didn't mention, but what he, he commands uh, Ahimelech and the priest to be killed, and none of them want to do it, because these are God's priests. I mean, that's, sometimes people, they, there's just some things you just, you just don't, Cross the line, and they just were, that was kind of crossing the line. But Doag, he steps up and he carries out the job and salutes like 80 priests there. Alright. But here in chapter 24, he's still pursuing David. And they're kind of on the run, and David's hiding in this cave, and his men. And we pick up now in, uh, verse, uh, 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 3 and 4. Someone want to read that for us? 
Three and four. All right. So here they are hiding in this cave. Now, interesting thing about darkness. You, you can't look in the darkness. But you can be in the darkness, and you're like obscure if somebody's outside, you know, in the daylight, and they look in the cave, it's just dark. They don't see the people back there. So they recognize, hey, King Saul's coming in. <clears throat> and uh, so he just thinks nobody's there, and they're kind of, hey, this is your opportunity. This is it. The Lord's delivered him in your hand. Now you're going to slay him, the one that's been seeking your life, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's in there. He's, he's using the bathroom. And he sneaks up and he just cuts off a piece of his robe. And uh, anyway, he tries to, well, he convinces, no, no, we, we can't slay him. He says there in verse 6, uh, verses 5 and 6, And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him, that his conscience was convicting him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. It says, and he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, saying he is the anointed of the Lord. And so King Saul goes out, and he's kind of a way off, and then David comes out, and he begins to speak to King Saul. And notice what is said as we pick up there in number 9 and 10. Number 9 and 10. Someone want to read that for us? Alright, so there's these people who kept saying, hey, you know, hey, you know, David's trying to do you harm. Now, if I really was trying to do you harm, now you've been listening to all these lies, and you come into the cave, and there you are, and I can cut off a little piece of, uh, of your robe, what could he also have done with that knife? Exactly, he could have just slipped up there and just slit his throat. Been like that. Wouldn't take very long because once you cut those juggler veins and the heart keeps pumping, it's like, psh, you know, blood just squirts out and you can't even make noise when you slit somebody's throat so they can't, they can't holler for help. And so this blood's pumping out and it's just a matter of uh, just a few seconds, you're going to go unconscious and die and that would have been done. If I was really trying to do you harm... And here is the piece of robe, here is the piece of your, uh, of your, of your garment to prove that I was that close to you. And it's like, I don't know if he noticed it, or maybe after he's, you know, flagging it, he's, boy, that's your head, that is mine. Maybe the color, or where it was cut off, I mean, you would just, yeah, he recognized it, yeah, he could have taken my life, but he didn't. And the point is, that was the third testimony. In the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word would be established, you would think, King Saul. And he says, as you read on down in the text, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And uh, interesting phrase, uh, uh, well, there in number, number 11, it says, Moreover, my father, see... Uh, yes, and, and see the skirt of the robe in my hand, for it is cut off from your skirt of your robe, and and, and I, I didn't kill you. He says, Know thou, and see that there is none evil nor transgression in my hand. I have not sinned against you, and yet you hunt my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord avenge uh, me of thee, uh, but my hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, verse 13, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Now, if David was really wicked... Generally, when you talk about wicked people, the proverb is, wicked people do what? They do wicked things. I mean, it just sort of goes hand in hand. If you're a wicked person, it just sort of comes out. Why? Because you're just wicked in heart, and you just do wicked deeds. But if David was all this wicked guy that all his cronies were saying, yeah, yeah, David, he's, he's trying to do yin, da, 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 da. Well, why didn't David just take his life right then? 
He had the perfect opportunity. He has the evidence. He cut off. He didn't even realize that he cut it off. It wasn't like he tried to yank a piece of his garment off. He just slices it off. He didn't even realize that that had happened. And yet, here's the testimony. And so he gives lip service as you go on down there. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, it says at the end of verse 16. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, uh, for you have rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you evil. And he says, well, you know, I'm not going to kill you, but David doesn't seem to put trust because, uh, lo and behold, as you continue reading in Samuel, after this, he still kind of falls back, this evil spirit trying to do him harm. And I want to notice one last phrase there in verse 14. Someone read number 14. All right. That's kind of an interesting phrase. You're pursuing me like you would pursue a dead dog. It's like, there's a, oh, there's this mean dog, and, and he needs to be put down. The dog's dead. That seemed pretty, pretty empty and shallow, doesn't it? Why would you pursue after a dead dog? You're not going to harm anybody. Or flee. I mean, do you need to rally up a posse? Do you need to, you know, get up a whole army of people to pursue after a flea? Fleas, they're just such small insects. They're not kind of just more of a nuisance than anything. I mean, it's nothing that's really going to harm you, that somehow you, you know, you're, you're going to have to be laying in the hospital for the next, you know, 12 days. I mean, why, why are you pursuing me? Well, because he has this green-eyed monster, this evil beast of envy in his heart that had blinded him, and people that were, his cronies that were just egging it on, saying, yeah, 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 David, he's trying to do your harm. Why are you listening to all these false charges? It's not so. I mean, the evidence, three, three times. His son says, no, David's a good guy. Ahimelech said, no, he's a faithful servant, he's a good guy, he hasn't done anything wrong. And David, again, himself testifies in the circumstance that he was in to prove that he had not any ill harm. Uh, ill will and animosity to Saul to kill him. Now, there are different different things to consider. They would have this tremendous respect for the office that he possessed. Well, first off, he was an older person. And he was a citizen of, you know, Israel. And this is the king. You know, he's in the military. And in the military, what do you learn in the military? What's one of the first things you learn? You learn obedience. You, re, you learn to respect the commanders. You know, and the commander says, you do it. Whoever is above you, you, you know, yes, sir. That, that's kind of the way it is. And David was a military fellow, so he understands the concept of respecting authority. And he was a son-in-law. Well, my father-in-law has passed away now. Well, mother-in-law too. But, you know, you, you just have respect for, for your in-laws. And he was the Lord's anointed. King Saul was the Lord's anointed. He was anointed at the direction of Jehovah. Now, King Saul didn't do all the good things he should, as we, uh, Josh, uh, in the lesson on Sunday talked about. You know, he, well, he, he just, he just, he, he took wrong steps. It started out when he kind of was lifted up in pride. When he was little in his own eyes, things went well, but when he got lifted up, you know, it sort of took this office you know, he began taking himself too seriously and that created problems and he got the big head and that created all kinds of problems. But the, but the overriding thing that I see, and that's the point of the lesson, is, is showing respect. He was the Lord's anointed. 
And that's what David was demonstrating was respect. And when he cut off a you know, piece of his robe, I mean, it's like his conscience bothered him. I mean, that was kind of a small thing, but that, even that bothered him. He didn't really harm him. I mean, you know, he kind of damaged his clothes. But it was, of course, very important to show that, yeah, I could have slit your throat just as much as I slid off a piece of garment. But he was showing respect. And for the rest of the class, we just want to look at some verses that talks about how we ought to show respect for others. And there are different passages that talk about this concept. All right, first off, in Acts chapter 23, when Saul saw standing before uh, the high priest Ananias, and, you know, they, they, they command uh, smite Paul on the mouth, and then he says, well, the God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. And he says, well, are you reviling God's high priest? Verse 5, someone read that, Acts 23, 5. <clears throat> All right, and that's a quote from the book of Exodus, chapter 22 and verse 28. And what that says is that Paul, and this is why sometimes people say, that, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh was related to bad eyesight, then that, that might be. But he says, I, I didn't know this was God's high priest. Because the law says, you know, you should not uh, speak evil of the rulers. And there's, there's kind of a principle there that you can, that we can respect the office. Now, it's really hard sometimes the person to respect personally because sometimes people in offices uh, of higher powers, they, they don't act uh, the way they ought to, but still to maintain respect for the office. And uh, that's what I learned from this text here in Acts chapter 23. And I learned that from David, that he was... You know, this was the Lord's anointing. King Saul, yeah, he was doing some bad things, and yeah, he attempted to try to take a javelin and, and you know, pin him to the wall, but he was still God's anointing. And that's what David was demonstrating was respect for others. <clears throat> uh, let's look in Second uh, Peter. Second Peter chapter 2, number 10. Second Peter chapter 2, number 10. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 2, number 10. Someone want to read that for us? All right, so it talks about those who, des- who despise authority and that are corrupt and evil. That they, they, they speak evil and they speak derogatory. Uh, while we're in uh, the area of Peter, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, number 17. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17, <clears throat> that speaks to authorities and kings, but to humanity in general. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So here he says to to honor all, to honor all men, to just have respect for human beings. You know, it's like uh, sometimes people talk to other people like they're dogs. Was anything wrong talking to a dog like a dog? No, because they're dogs. <laughs> get, get out of here. But do we have the, the prerogative to talk to people like dogs? Oh, why? Because human beings are what? Exactly, they're creating God's image. And yeah, sometimes people do some pretty low-down, ungodly things, but they're still human beings. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in transgression. Yeah, they're off track. But they're still to be respected as human beings, to give them that. And to show that, as, as Peter says, honor all men. He says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, honor the king. Why? Because... Government is ordained of God. I don't have it up there, but you can look at Romans chapter 13. It talks about the powers that be are ordained of God. And it talks about to give tribute to whom tribute, honor to whom honor. 
And we are to show respect to the authorities. And then uh, this idea of being just older. Over in the book of First uh, Timothy chapter five, verses one and two. First, First Timothy chapter, five, uh, yeah, First Timothy chapter five, verses one and two. Paul gave an exhortation to Timothy how to deal with the older men and the older, uh, older sisters. <clears throat> Someone want to read that for us? All right. The point is that Paul is trying to exhort Timothy is to respect older people, just for the, just for the, for the fact that they are older. And they have gone through a lot of experiences in life. Now, that doesn't mean that, oh, now if they're off track and they've done something wrong, that we can't say that, you know, you know, brother, this, this is not really right. He, he didn't say that. He just said, treat them like you would your father. I mean, if your dad's done something wrong, well, yeah, you can talk to him, but you don't talk to him like a dog. You don't talk to him like, like, uh, uh, like some, some animal. And then uh, over in the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 19, number 32. This whole idea of respecting older people. Uh, Leviticus 19, number 32. Someone want to read that for us? All right. So it talks about showing respect to the elders. I remember when I was a kid, I'd, I'd hear that phrase, you know, respect your elders. Wow, why? Because you see these kind of biblical passages that talk about just respect people because they're older. That's what these texts are talking about. And that's what David demonstrated for us. Even as a young man, he respected Saul. Well, because he's an older fellow. I mean, he's kind of the military leader. He's the king. You know, he, he became his father-in-law. He's the Lord's anointed. And so over and over, he showed respect. And when you talk about respecting the authorities, one of the things that I see that's has been awful the past few years is the utter disrespect for police. Because police represent what? what? What are they trying to promote? They're trying to promote law and order. And we see so many people just disrespecting police. Now sometimes police, uh, policemen or women, they sometimes don't do exactly the right things they, they should be doing. And when they're found out, they're punished. I, I understand that. But well, what happens is that, yeah, you've got a few bad eggs maybe here and there and in isolated incidences, and then people just sort of go overboard, and then they just don't respect any of the police when the vast majority are trying to uphold law and order and that we need to be respecting police because they're out there trying to protect because the fundamental uh, obligation of government, according to Romans chapter 13, is to protect the good people and to punish the evil people. That's what Romans chapter 13 talks about. That's kind of the basic fundamental is to have an orderly society. And I hope that we would learn from David that he shows great respect for King Saul. That we would show respect for older people. That we respect our fellow men. And that we would respect police and authorities. And not be like these that are described in the scriptures that, that have no respect. And to, to to be to be of the kind of mind uh, mindset and attitude, to be respectful of others doesn't mean that you can't say, "Well, you're not doing what's right," but always be uh, and do it in a respectful way. All right. Well, we're out of time. Appreciate everybody helping.